Good morning. Well, it is the Christmas season. We are in December, and even though it is the Christmas season, we at Emmaus Road have decided that we're going to keep going with our series on 1 Corinthians. That's because it's our church's conviction that the Word of God should set the agenda for church and not any kind of external festivals or dates that are celebrated. Now, having said that, this morning I'm going to take some well-known Christmas characters from the narrative and I'm going to refashion them uh, to help us get into this passage this morning. So let me tell you today about three wise men. Three wise men. The first is Mr. Natural. Mr. Natural, he loves life. He loves having good conversations, reading good books, uh, playing his favourite games, watching his favourite shows. He's a kind person, and he always seeks to do good with others. You know, whether that's his friends or somebody on the street. The motto that he lives by is, do good because you should. A second wise man is Mr. Supernatural. Mr. Supernatural is just like Mr. Natural, except super. That's my imagine. He thinks that as good a person as Mr. Natural is, you know, it's great that he does the things that he does. He thinks that actually Mr. Natural is missing out on some, some extra level spiritual power that he's not getting, that Mr. Supernatural does have access to. And he lives by the motto, supernatural power for every hour. The third is Mr. Spiritual. Mr. Spiritual has been saved by God's great mercy. And he knows that every breath that he has and every word of wisdom comes from the Lord. His motto is 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And we're going to meet these three wise men in our passage this morning as we work through it in a slightly different order. And I'll point them out as we work our way through as you can probably tell, as Brandon has already said, this passage that we're looking at is all about the wisdom of God. And so the question I want us to ask ourselves this morning is, how do I become spiritually wise? Taking notes, that question is what I want us to ask. How do I become spiritually wise? This morning, we have four points. Let's look at the first. Revealed wisdom. Revealed wisdom. As we heard from Roger last week, uh, Paul has just spent a considerable amount of ink talking about how the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is upside-down wisdom, Paul says. It's not the wisdom of the world, because God chooses the weak and the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the strong, the supposedly wise and strong. He's made it clear that the wisdom of the cross, it, it, it just, it seems like foolishness. For those who don't believe it, for those uh, who, you know, believe that other wisdom is far greater, this, this cross thing that keeps getting talked about by Christians, it just, it doesn't make any sense. It's pretty nonsensical. And yet to those who believe in the message of the cross, this is the wisdom of the gospel. This is the wisdom that surpasses all other worldly wisdom. And so, having established that point firmly, 
Paul then now pivots to say in this passage that we're looking at today that once a Christian has grasped that their salvation doesn't come from their own effort or doesn't come from their own brilliant ability to, to speak wise and intelligent things, and that's because of the cross, he says, the spiritually mature are the ones who grow in that wisdom. And we do impart that wisdom to the mature. But Paul goes on to say that this isn't a wisdom that is of this world, nor is it a wisdom that can be figured out simply by observing and studying the world. He says, only God can reveal it. Let's read that passage from verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Well, first thing to note is that Paul does impart wisdom. He imparts a wisdom for the mature. And as we talked about over the last few weeks, the background of this letter is is how much the Corinthians loved these very clever public speakers. And they would spend an evening going to listen to the latest debate from the, the best speakers that have blown into town, who are able to smash arguments with their brilliant knowledge and their clever rhetoric. And these Corinthians think that they're spiritually mature because they think they've got this kind of wisdom, that they follow certain teachers who, uh, and they've taken on that same culture, when in reality, the wisdom that they are starting to love is that of Greek philosophical wisdom, simply the wisdom of the world. Now Paul here in this passage, he's, he's giving them a jab. You know, in the next chapter, which we'll look at next week, Paul makes this unmistakably clear, but here at this point, he's making a, a subtle, having a subtle dig at the Corinthians. He's saying, you see, Corinthians, you aren't mature. If you were mature, we'd be teaching you this wisdom. But we are not. And so then he goes on to describe what the wisdom, what that wisdom is not. It's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Paul sets up a division here between two different kinds of wisdom that he's going to go on to talk about in the rest of this passage. This first type of wisdom, which we should take note of, is the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age. Rulers here in verse 6, it likely refers to earthly rulers uh, because of the parallel in verse 8 where uh, he says the rulers of this world would not have done that and they, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And the people who believe this wisdom, who embody this wisdom, who seek after this wisdom, Paul says, they are doomed to pass away. Not only will those rulers die and be forgotten just like everybody else, so will their so-called wisdom. I remember when I was younger, uh, Roger had a, a visual aid last week, so I thought I'd bring along my own. I remember when I was younger, uh, seeing this book on a bookshelf. Has anybody seen it before? Anyone? You're familiar with this one? No? <laughs> really wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> but I do recall seeing it on a stand, right? And as you can see, it's fairly obvious what the uh, subject matter of the book is going to be. And you notice that the cover has all these famous people on it. 
uh, you know, Nelson Mandela, Julie, Judy Dench, Clint Eastwood, all these people who are gray-headed. What's it? What do you like if I get that wrong? Clint, please. Yeah, that's right. All these, all these gray-headed people, and you know, as you can perhaps imagine, the book is filled with the wisdom of these people, right? That's what it's all about. And I remember when I saw this book years, years ago, the young lad that I was. And I remember having a thought that I continued to turn over and consider for many, many years. Why is being old equated with being wise? Now, I'm not, certainly not suggesting that we shouldn't listen to older people, right? to learn from the many years of life that God has given them. The Bible encourages us to respect and listen to those who have gone before us, such as in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 22. Of course, it, it makes sense. But we only grasp something here. A person doesn't suddenly become wise when their hairs go grey. For all of the young ones among us, I'll let you decide whether you make that cut. Don't be thinking to yourself, oh, I, I, just, I can't wait till I get older and then I'll just have all this wisdom to be able to share with you all. No life experience does not equal wisdom. You can live hundreds of years, and if the wisdom that you acquire in that time, in that life, is only the wisdom of this world, then that is going to pass away along with all of your possessions and your very life. That is not the kind of wisdom that Paul wants to impart to the spiritually mature. <coughs> well, what is that? What does verse 7 say? But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. But we impart. This, this but here at the start of, of this sentence is the first of two that come in the next few verses. And Paul puts them there to contrast what has come before us, before it. In contrast to the wisdom of this age, Paul says, the wisdom that he wants to impart is one that was once upon a time secret and hidden and had been awaiting the appointed time for it to be revealed. And now, it has been. And the clue that you get for what he's talking about here is in the fact that he mentions that God decreed it before the ages, meaning that God planned it before the universe even came into existence. In eternity past, this wisdom existed, even before the, the creation came to be, even before material matter existed, this wisdom was there in the mind of God. And now it has been revealed. Verse 7 says it's been revealed for what purpose? For our glory. This secret and hidden wisdom would achieve the purpose of bringing glory to God's people. And so you think about it, given what he's just talked about with regards to the wisdom of the cross, and as he comes to this point, what's he referring to? Right here, we see him referring to the gospel. The wisdom that God's plan, which is now being revealed, is the salvation of all who return to him in repentance and in faith, and trust in Jesus. And trust in his substitutionary death and atonement on the cross. For us. And those who do so, those who do that, will, will share in eternity with Christ's glory. That's the final stage of salvation, that when our mortal bodies are taken up to spend eternity with Jesus, 
death will be swallowed up by life, and we will worship him forever. That's the wisdom which God has now revealed. And it cannot come simply from observing the world. In Job 32, six, verses 6 to 9, Elihu actually says something right when he points out that this wisdom does not come from simply from age, but from God's Spirit. He says, I am young in years, and you are aged. Therefore I was timid and afraid to declare my opinion to you. I said, let days, or age, speak, and many years teach wisdom. But it is the Spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty, that makes him understand. It is not the old who are wise, nor the aged who understand what is right. True wisdom comes from the Spirit of God. True wisdom comes from the Spirit of God. And none of the rulers of this age understood this, Paul goes on to say in verse 8. Because if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. I mean, that's not hard to imagine, is it? <laughs> if you knew that Jesus was God, the creator of the universe, come in the flesh, why would you crucify him? Why would you want to kill him? Why would you bathe for his blood? It doesn't make any sense. That's Paul's point. He says that these rulers, both Jew and Gentile, they did not have God's wisdom, and that's what drove them to crucify Jesus. That's why Paul goes on with another strong but in verse 9. Let's have a look at that. But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now this verse Paul is quoting here, uh, this has caused a lot of uh, difficulty for interpreters of scripture over the ages. Not only is the grammar in the Greek difficult for this quotation that Paul gives, but there seems to be no direct passage in the Old Testament that Paul is actually quoting from. Uh, in some Bibles, uh, not in the not the few ones that we have, which are uh, you'll see a note there that refers to, that'll take you to Isaiah 64, verse 4. And this says, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear no, I have seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. So some people debate, because as you can see, that's the closest thing we've got to what he actually says in 1 Corinthians. So some people debate over exactly what Paul is quoting here. But I think that what he is doing is taking this verse from Isaiah and modifying it slightly while maintaining the original meaning. Yeah, he does that. You can see that in the similarity of the form of the two verses he follows what's going on there. And it's worth noting that Paul and other New Testament authors will occasionally quote things from the Old Testament, and occasionally do that differently from the original. Sometimes they'll show how an Old Testament passage which meant a particular thing in that context now has a different meaning because of Jesus coming and, and uh, the, the meaning that that has in light of his incarnation. Uh, so Peter, in Acts 2, for example, he quotes Joel and does the same thing. 
So the point is, with our passage here in 1 Corinthians 2, uh, as God's appointed apostle, Paul is showing how the message of God's salvation, which is in Isaiah 64, is looking forward to and has now been revealed in the cross. That's what he's doing by quoting Isaiah 64, verse 4. Verse 1 of Isaiah 64 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come God, would you come and visit us here? Well, that's exactly what Jesus has done, isn't it? John 1.14 makes that uh, crystal clear. It says the word that was present at the beginning of creation took on flesh and dwelt among us. So Paul is saying that this salvation that Isaiah looked forward to, this salvation that no eye had seen, no ear had heard, not the heart of man imagined, this, this salvation God has now revealed. And he's revealed it in Christ Jesus. You notice the link to that in verse 7, the things that are secret and hidden. If it weren't for God revealing these mysteries, revealing this truth to us through his spirit, we would never know them. This is why it's impossible to come to faith and to grow in faith without it first being the work of the spirit. Because there is a very distinct difference between the general truths that we can discover about God in his creation and in the things that we see around us and the specific truth that has been revealed to us through the gospel in the word of God. You cannot know God's salvation or his purposes unless he has revealed them. A song from uh, a decade ago expresses, I think, perfectly how the world likes to think about this. These are the words from the chorus. I don't need no one to tell me about heaven. I look at my daughter and I believe. I don't need no proof when it comes to God and truth. I can see the sunset and I perceive. I mean, you get it. You get the sentiment, right? It feels fuzzy, it feels amazing, it's very feels very spiritual. I can certainly raise that. Having two daughters, you know, they both made me cry when they were born. Uh, you, know, you have this incredible phenomenon of feeling like your heart suddenly can't fit in your chest. It's, you know, descriptions that, that you'll hear many parents say. Uh, you understand that. But the truth, the truth is that even if you might capture some essence of true things about God in these incredible experiences that God has given us in creation, in the world, even though you might be able to, to just get a glimpse of the truth of God, the reality is you will never truly believe unless you have received the Spirit who reveals God's wisdom in the cross. Because if you were just left to your own devices, then you would look at the historical evidence for Jesus, you would read the Bible, you would think about these things as genuinely and as honestly as you possibly could, and you come to the conclusion that it's all a lie. Or that, at best, you know, Jesus is a, he's a good moral man with some good teachings that you, know, you might be able to take on board. 
without God revealing the wisdom of the cross through his spirit, we would never know. Because this wisdom is not only revealed by God, it is also received from him. And that's my second point this morning. This wisdom is received wisdom. I wonder if you thought about how people become Christians. Or convert to any religion, for that matter. Do you think it's simply a matter of surveying the evidence, reading all the different holy books, trying to find a religion that just fits with you, and then coming to an informed decision? Is that how one becomes a Christian? And if that's the case, well, how is that different from really any other decision that you make? How is it different from deciding whether to have beef or chicken or not? You see, what the Bible teaches us is that not only would we have not known the content of God's wisdom in the gospel without him revealing it, but that also we would not have received it without God freely giving it to us. Let's read about that from the second half of verse 10. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Notice how Paul draws an analogy here uh, with a person. He says, well, uh, I can't tell you what's going on in your mind or in your spirit. You can't tell me what's going on in my mind or in my spirit. We, we don't really know what's going on unless we communicate to, like that to one another. And so in the same way, and surely to, a, to an infinitely more complex degree, that is true of God. That we could never know what is his mind unless he communicates it to us? That's why we just talked about it point one. That's why God must reveal his wisdom. We can't just discern it by looking around us. And the reality is, I mean, we can't even know another person, let alone God. Now, that's, that's why these jokes exist about husbands still getting to know their wives for decades, you know, still trying to figure them out. And that's because human beings, and particularly women, are incredibly, magnificently complex beings. And so there's, there's no way that we can, you know, plumb the depths of getting to know our spouses. That's why spouses need to be constantly communicating to one another in order to inform one another of what is going on inside their own hearts and minds. How much more is it necessary for God to communicate with us in order for us to know him. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And so it is the Spirit who must reveal to us the thoughts of God. And here's where we meet our first wise man as he enters the scene. That is Mr. Supernatural. Because Mr. Supernatural, he wants to read this text 
And he wants to couple it with verse 7, which says, you know, the hidden and revealed things of God are his wisdom. And he wants to say, ah, you see, in order to be truly spiritual, you need to be able to discern the secret and hidden things that only the Spirit can reveal to you. And Mr. Supernatural, he wants to take that to mean that if you really want to know God, then you should be able to get a special revelation from the Holy Spirit that is separate from what God has actually revealed in his word. Something that he only reveals to you, you specifically. And the tragic irony of Mr. Supernatural is that, well, he is actually just arguing the very, against the very thing that Paul is arguing. Paul's point throughout this passage, and indeed throughout this whole section through chapter 4, is that this wisdom that has been revealed and that we receive through the Spirit is the wisdom of the cross. Paul is chiding the Corinthians for thinking that they had a better wisdom than the wisdom of the cross was. They thought he's chastising them for thinking that they had greater wisdom than the wisdom of the cross that Paul preached. And he's reminding them that the gospel, this is God's wisdom. What does Paul say in verse 12? Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. For what purpose? Why have we received the spirit who is from God? What does he say? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see what Paul's saying here? The Spirit who is from God, he enables us to understand the things that are freely given. Past tense. Freely the things that God has already given to us. And so if you've turned away from your sin, if you're trusted in Jesus, and if you've given him your life so that he might be your Lord and Savior, then the Spirit is helping you to understand what God has already done. You don't need anything extra to be spiritually wise. The Holy Spirit doesn't exist so that you can download the latest update to the Bible and get Bible version 2.5. He isn't here to give us some kind of mystical insight into something that only the, the cream of the spiritual crop get. No, he enables us to understand what God has already given us. And God has already freely given us Jesus. And he has already freely given us his word. And he has already freely given us his spirit so that we may understand his word. Theologians have called this work of the spirit illumination. It's a fitting word. It brings light. And it is the recognition that the Holy Spirit is the one who first enables us to believe And that it is also his role to then open the minds and the hearts of believers to understand the message and the meaning of the Bible. Illumination is one of the roles of the Spirit. And that's the whole point of verse 13. As Paul said in verse 6, he imparts wisdom to those who are mature. And the mature are those who are spiritual. That is, Christians who cling to the cross of Christ and keep going deeper into this message that God has revealed and what it means for them. In verse 13, he says, We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
You see, even though Mr. Supernatural thinks that he's got spiritual wisdom, the reality is that he's actually just trusting in a more spiritual sound version <coughs> of human wisdom. He's wanting to add things to the gospel. He's wanting to add things to what God has already freely given. And that's just more human wisdom. Because spiritual truths and the interpretation of spiritual truth is not done by going with what you think you're sensing God might be telling you in your spirit. Any such thought, any such sense that perhaps God might be leading or speaking or saying to you must be submitted to the wisdom and the authority that is found in what God has already freely given in His Word. If something that you feel might be a word from the Lord is contradicting what the Word of God is actually saying, then please hear me here. That is not a word from the Lord. And so we evaluate all of these thoughts, we evaluate all of these feelings, these senses that we get by the light of Scripture. And God's Spirit enables us to interpret those truths. And we do that as a church. God has given us fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to help us understand and to interpret the Word and to apply it to our own lives. You know, if you think to yourself that you, know, you can just do this whole follow Jesus and know what God says on your own, just say, hey, it's just me and my Bible, it's me and the Holy Spirit. Well, then A, I think you are underestimating your own sinfulness. B, you will be tempted to just read whatever you want to believe into Scripture. And C, you are not following God the way He designed. Christianity is not a solo walk. He gave you the church so that in that community you might grow in knowing Him and going deeper into the wisdom of God in the Word of God. Let His Spirit be at work in you through His Word so that you might grow in spiritual maturity. If we want to be spiritually wise, we need to dive into the Word of God. To seek wisdom elsewhere is to reject God's wisdom, and that is our third point this morning. Rejected wisdom. In contrast to the spiritual people that Paul mentions in verse 13, he goes on to talk about their opposites. Let's look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. <coughs> they are spiritually discerned. Enter stage right, Mr. Natural. Mr. Natural, as we said before, he's a nice guy, he's a good bloke. He thinks this whole Christian message is just dumb. You can't believe that anybody in the 21st century could possibly still believe in such backwards ideas as thinking that you know, this book was written by people for, you know, and are the very words of God. Good without God. Is that one author put it? In Mr. Natural's mind, Plato, Nietzsche, Germaine Greer, Neil deGrasse Tyson, all these very brilliant orators, they've all far surpassed Jesus. In his mind, actually, you don't even have to go to such philosophers to find better advice than Jesus. <coughs> I mean, you can just look on the TV and watch Tony Robbins or Ellen DeGeneres. 
Well, just talk to your friends. All of them are going to give you better advice than Jesus. Mr. Natural will never see spiritual wisdom as wise. In fact, not only will he never see it as wise, he's not even able to understand it. It doesn't make <coughs> any sense to him. Because his mind is closed. He hasn't received the revealed wisdom of God. He has rejected it. And we see a perfect example of Mr. Natural in Acts chapter 17, verse 18, where Paul is trying to preach the gospel in Athens. And here's what happens. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. These so-called wise philosophers, the words coming out of Paul's mouth are just gibberish. That's Mr. Natural. You might be thinking to yourself, yeah, I know Mr. Natural. There are plenty of people at work who are exactly like that. They love their self-help books. They love their TED Talks and their YouTube videos. Perhaps you do know somebody like that. But I want to ask you this morning, is that you? Isn't Paul giving this description of the natural person in verse 14 to the Corinthians? A church which he already established in chapter 1 is one that Paul genuinely believes are Christians, a Christian church. Yes, he does believe the Corinthians are genuine believers. And here he is sounding a warning to them. A warning that we, as the contemporary 21st century church, must hear. Are you tempted to think that perhaps the Bible, the wisdom found in it, has been outpaced? That it's outmatched by other, <coughs> better wisdom from the world? If you're starting to think that, then you are starting to think like Mr. Natural. And if there is something going on in your own heart that is attracted to this worldly wisdom, if you're finding more comfort or more happiness or more meaning or more direction or more help from mindfulness or meditation or medicine, then my friend, you need to hear the alarm bells. Listen to Paul's warning here and don't entrust your life to a wisdom that is in anything other than what God has given us. And that means interpreting and evaluating the world through the lens of the Bible. I say that because I'm not suggesting that we don't listen to, you know, yeah, forget what the experts say. But I say that because it is far too easy for us to be tempted to have worldly wisdom as our authority rather than what God has given us in his word. Lisa told me a, a story yesterday about a well-known Bible teacher named Jen Wilkin, who has, in her reputation, has been somebody who uh, is well-known for really pr 
pressing into and encouraging women particularly uh, to press into the Word of God. That's been what she's been known for. And, and earlier this week, she ran a seminar about anxiety and stress. And so many people who have known her, who have been familiar with her work, came to this expecting to hear, well, hey, is Jen Wilkin going to give us some biblical wisdom on anxiety and stress? And what ended up happening was she invited a professional therapist of some sort who came and spoke all about how to deal with anxiety and stress from a clinical, uh, medical perspective. And the entire time, there was not a single mention of Scripture. There was a lot of Christianese, but the methods that were given were not arising out of or filtered through the lens primarily of what the Word teaches. This natural does not understand spiritual things. And he does not accept them. He or she rejects the wisdom of God. He rejects the gospel. You know, this happens more slowly than perhaps you might realize. It begins with waking up one morning with a desire for something other than God. It might even be a good desire. It progresses to reading bloggers and articles about spirituality and thinking to yourself, maybe the Bible does have it backwards. And that continues on with you know, realizing that, you know, maybe this whole Christian message of, of losing your life in order to find it Maybe that's not actually what really happens. Maybe you just lose your life, and then, and that's it. I mean, why, why should I divide my, devote my entire life and give up you know, the good things of this world to this God if, if he's not going to let me have the things that I want? And before you know it, you've rejected the wisdom of God. You see, you can know the content of the Bible. You can know the content of the gospel. You can quote John 3.16. And you can still reject it. Because your mind and your heart is still unspiritual. If that's you this morning, if you're feeling the temptation towards the wisdom of the world, to put your trust ultimately in that, then please hear and heed Paul's warning this morning. Pray and plead with God that he would keep you from buying into the world's wisdom. Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned and given by the Spirit. It's only by the Spirit's work that we can become spiritually wise. That's why the wisdom that we have as Christians is regenerate. That's my final point this morning. Let's read from verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. <coughs> For who has, instruct, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago that so often in Christianity, 
people take biblical words and then attach unbiblical definitions to them. And here, I think, is another classic example in the word judge. It's not uncommon for people to quote Matthew 7.1 and to say, well, Christians, there you have it. Judge not, that you be not judged. And so, more often than not, what people mean by that is uh, that, hey, Christians, you should never tell another person whether what they're doing is right or wrong. That's often how that's understood. Now, of course, there are several problems with this, uh, but let me just quickly give you two. Firstly, that's not what this verse means at all. Right? If you read it in context, you'll see that Jesus is calling out hypocrisy. That's his point. He's not talking about whether it's okay to make judgments about what's right and wrong. He's saying, those of you who do, and then who live a life that is completely contrary to that, is wrong. And the Bible is very clear about hypocrisy. It takes it very seriously. It's something that we as Christians ought to try to never do or be. Secondly, Paul will go on in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, which we'll come to in four years. And he talks about how we as Christians should judge one another. Because especially when it comes to sin that is serious and unrepentant. And so if your working definition of judge is that it's a bad thing and that Christians should never do it, then what I'm trying to do is, is expand your understanding of the meaning of that word. And that to realize that actually most of the time, that's, that's not what the Bible's talking about when it uses the word judge. And so as we come to this verse, it's vital that we put those definitions aside to seek to understand it. And interestingly, the Greek word here for judge in verse 15 is actually the same word for discerned in verse 14. And Paul is likely doing a play on words with those words here. He's saying in verse 15 that the person who has been regenerated, the person who's been made alive in Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit, it is with this cross-shaped wisdom, with this renewed mind, that such a person makes judgments about the world. They see the world through those eyes, through those regenerated eyes. In contrast, the natural person cannot do that. The spiritual person just doesn't make any sense to them. And that's why Paul can say that the spiritual person is judged by no one. What he means, the point of what he's saying there, is not that when you become a Christian, suddenly nobody is able to have the right to tell you what to do. That's, that's not the point of what he's saying. He's saying that you now <coughs> answer to only one. As one who has been made new in Christ, it is God alone, ultimately, who will judge you. Now, part of, as I said before, the way God matures us is through his church, and that's why as Christians we invite others into our lives to speak into our lives, to, to help us grow and mature in the spiritual wisdom and understanding that we find in the Word. But ultimately, we won't be the ones judging each other on Judgment Day. That belongs to God. 
And that's why Paul can say that he is judged by no one. Because we, need, we now live our lives knowing that him alone will be that. That's why Paul quotes Isaiah 40, verse 13, in the next verse. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord, or what man knows, shows him his counsel? Or as Paul phrases it in verse 16, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And you know, the original context of this verse is, uh, it's a rhetorical question, which has a very clear answer. Who can, who can show the Lord counsel? Well, nobody. No one instructs, understands the mind of the Lord. No one can instruct him. You just made that point earlier. But then he flips the script, and he follows it up with a statement that reminds us of his instruction in chapter 1, to be of the same mind, where he says, but we have the mind of Christ. God has made his mind known to us as Christians, as those who have submitted to him and followed him by revealing his wisdom to us in his Son. Through his Spirit, he has revealed to us the wisdom that he decreed in eternity past and enabled us to receive and understand it. The gospel is the message of this wisdom. And that is a message that Mr. Spiritual understands and knows. He knows that he is completely lost and dead in his sin. He knows that his heart is sinful and rebellious and wicked, and that if left to his own devices, he would continue on living life for himself, ignoring God. He also knows that Jesus has revealed God's wisdom, which is the message that he proclaimed while he was on earth. The message that all who turn from their sin, that all who put their trust in him, who receive him as their Lord and as their Savior, will be saved. Saved from the consequences of their sin, which is the wrath of God. Mr. Spiritual knows that this is a message that he can never, ever get tired of. In fact, he knows that for the rest of his days, and on into eternity, when he will share in Christ's glory, and he will worship and praise God because of the love and the mercy that he has shown him on the cross, he will continue to look into this amazing wisdom that God has revealed. Mr. Spiritual doesn't try to bolt more intelligent improvements onto the gospel. Because he knows that the wisdom of God is a deep well that has no that he can continue to draw water from. If you have not responded to the wisdom of God this morning in the gospel and turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, then the first step in becoming spiritually wise is doing exactly that. In order to have the mind of Christ, the first thing you need to do is repent and believe the gospel. And in order to grow in wisdom, you must continue to return to this inexhaustible book of God's wisdom. He has given it to us 
It's all about Jesus. He's given us his spirit to be able to interpret and understand. To keep, to keep pursuing God as those whose hearts have been regenerated is something that is absolutely worth devoting your life to. So how do you become spiritually wise? As you can probably tell, only one of these three supposedly wise men is actually wise. Mr. Natural is up to his eyeballs in worldly wisdom. And because of that, the wisdom of God will never make sense to him. He will always reject it. Mr. Supernatural thinks he's got spiritual wisdom that is far greater than the wisdom that you find in the Bible because he's getting direct messages from God. They go beyond what Scripture has written, but hey, he's got next-level Christianity. <clears throat> and in reality, he's just attached atoms to God's wisdom such that he can no longer recognize it. Mr. Spiritual has the Spirit. He believes the Gospel. He's received and not rejected God's wisdom that has been revealed in Christ. And he lives life as a regenerate believer who continues to drink from the bottomless well of the Word as he waits to share in the glory Which wisdom will be the hallmark of your life? Let's pray. Oh, great God, you. You and you alone have true wisdom. Father, we praise you that you have revealed to us yourself in the world around us, in the wonderful gifts that you have given us in life. But ultimately and truly, in the gospel. God, we worship you because this wisdom which you planned before the creation of the universe, before the making of this world. Father, we're so thankful and in awe of the fact that you have revealed it and we have the privilege of knowing it. God, may we be ones who are spiritually Father, regenerate our hearts such that we trust and look to your wisdom and not the wisdom of this world. May we see this world through the eyes of your wisdom. In Jesus' name.